New on CuriosityStream, uncover engineering secrets from history's greatest masters. From the mysteries of the first man-made waterways to the building techniques of the early Americas, it's ancient engineering. Plus, 40 tons of trucks speeding down the interstate can be a recipe for disaster. See how today's smarter new age big rigs pave the way for safer highways on high-tech trucks. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. All right, here we go. <laughs> Please subscribe to the channel. Please. Hey, guys, YouTube's got an algorithm, and it'd really, really help us out a lot if you could like, comment, and subscribe. This is how we can get more information out to more people and uh, share the message of Toronto Real Estate. In Thanks. that order, like, comment, subscribe, and hit the damn bell. It's another Sunday. Welcome to the Toronto Real Estate Show. We have a special guest with us today, Mr. Jordan Skrinko from Pre Condo. Welcome to the Love show. It. Love it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Thank you for being here. So, Jordan sells pre construction real estate. Yeah, in the city of Toronto. Looks like. Um, I was on your website. I've been following your YouTube channel. You do some pretty cool stuff on that YouTube channel I want to ask you about. But uh, it seems to me that you're very, very into the pre-construction market. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, we do. A f like we, uh, we have eight, eight, eight agents, so we have two guys who specialize in resale. So we do our fair share of re uh, resale, mostly condos, though. Um, but yeah, the, I would say 80% of our business is pre-construction. That's kind of where we focus the majority of our time. So we work with a lot of investors and obviously a lot of developers. Um, yeah, it's kind of where we're focused. Are you guys a brokerage Jordan or a team? No, no. So we're at cloud realty. Um, okay. it's like a hundred, it's like a boutique hundred and something yep. agents. Yep. And cool. we, are so you your team and your guys are, you guys are pre-condo. That's the team. And you guys are out there obviously specializing in pre-condo, hence the name. Um, but of course, you got to diversify, right? Clients have different needs and stuff like that. That's For great. sure. And I mean, ultimately, when someone buys pre-construction, eventually they're a resale client because at some point, well, at least we hope at some point that that unit closes, right? Yeah, neat. I like it. Awesome. What got you into pre-construction? Pre like, what was it that attracted you when you got into real estate? Well, so the way I got into real estate is the the owner of um, Cloud Realty, Eric Skitsky, he had a team before he started the uh, the brokerage, started the brokerage seven, eight years ago now. Um, and uh, he hired me on to do uh, SEO for him, actually, funny enough. And uh, we started doing pre-construction and I just, I, I love the space. Um, made a lot of sense to me. It was really interesting selling off of floor plans and schematics. And so when I mm -hmm. got my license eight years ago, I decided you know, uh, just to specialize in frequent, I don't really believe in, uh, jacks of all trades. I think a lot of agents in Toronto try to be everything to everyone. You know, they dabble in a little mm -hmm. pre-con, they sell homes, they sell condos. And I think it's, I think it's kind of important to niche down, be, be very good at what you do. Um, so I just picked pre-construction and that's what, uh, that's what we ran with. I like that niche nice. down, niche down. So they TK, tell you in real estate school, doing? they say, pick a, Pick a segment and, and specialize in it, right? That's what they tell you. Niche. For sure. For sure. And it makes down. a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. They tell a lot of people that to 
pick an area, pick a pick a specialty, and like you're saying, most people don't listen. No. And they don't make a lot of money either. No, that's true. I, I like the background though, the SEO background. That is, I've seen real estate agents who are more tech savvy than others. Then the majority, ninety nine percent, are not tech savvy. So for someone to come in with your specialty. And then to have, you know, the ability to be able to, I was watching some of your videos and to be able to have that creative touch and the understanding of uh, what people need to see, especially in pre-construction, because there's nothing to look at, right? Like there's no, there's no unit to walk in, right? Like what, yeah. what are you selling me? What's your value, right? So yeah. I think that that's a really neat um, benefit for your clients for sure. So yeah, pre-construction is one of those things too, where, I mean, for most people, all they have to sell off of is a brochure. I'm sure as you guys are aware, those renders, how they actually turn out in reality can vary massively from what the market it is. I mean, it, it, there's a little asterisk. More than you know, Jordan, more than you know. Yeah. There's a little, uh, little asterisk that says uh, artist impression for a reason, right? Yeah, I love it, yeah. So, That's so cool. are you uh, what they consider a platinum agent? Yeah, I mean, like, look, most of the VIP platinum stuff, it's all marketing nonsense, but... The Thank reality you for is being honest with that. That's great. Cause yeah. I was going to do He's that. Platinum, I was going to do that for you, but yeah, good. <laughs> v- yeah. VIP. Keep, keep going. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm triple VIP. Triple V. Uh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I mean, the truth is like, even when I first started, when I didn't have the volume, so I didn't have the developer relations, I hadn't sold, you know, thousands of units like I have today back then. Um, what I learned really quickly was it's pretty easy to call any builder and get platinum. It's pretty, pretty easy to talk yourself into that into that room, um, provided you can assure them that you have clients and you're not just going to fill, you know, give them a bunch of fake worksheets. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, like now we have the volume. So, you know, we've done a number of deals with almost every developer in the city. So it's it's pretty easy to get allocations now. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's all marketing, man. It's not um I, I cringe every time I see emails go out that say, you know, VV, VIP, pre, pre public, uh, pre platinum, and it's friends and family. And it's just give me a fucking break. It's all the same thing. It's all yeah. the same nonsense. I love the fact it. that any advertisements are going out means that this is open to the public, right? <laughs> what Basically, right? right? Yeah. yeah. If it's getting emailed out to you from three or four different email lists and three or four different brokers, then it's not that exclusive. The only mm-hmm. difference between it really being for the public or out to the public and and not is that you bastards make us click on a link and fill out our email addresses to get the fucking price list which is the only thing we ever care about and it 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 it, it just you make it harder for us to find the information we want which is which is good i mean otherwise you guys are out of a job right well, so the way we do it is uh, we display all of our prices and floor plans kind of like BuzzBuzz. Um, once you sign up once, you're good. You can view prices and floor plans for any project on our website. Uh, Ranges, like though, right? It's not the actual. No, no, no. Is it, it the actual exactly, price? Exactly. Yeah. I have a full-time employee who does nothing but update pricing and floor plans all day long. And, and so once you register once, uh, yeah, you, you're good. You see prices and floor plans for... Uh, that's refreshing until you know until you change device or lose your password so that's great so we i i I saw your last video you were talking about mervish gary i want to put something up on the screen because i got a question for you hold on one second here bear with me super professional show nobody uh did i oh here we go 
That's our at, website, by the way. Look at this. It's legit. Look at this good-looking guy. Okay, these models, this 3D crazy coolness that you got going on here. How mm. do you do it? Can't take credit for that. It's actually Stephen Velasco, uh, future model TO on Twitter. Um, he's been uh, taking the massing files from the city and adding all the pre-construction um, uh, locations. Locations, yeah, and uh, you know, designing them. And I've seen, I've been following him for a long time. I thought he, you know, worked for the city, or turns out he just does it for fun. And the guy loves, you know, pre-construction and is an architectural fan. And and uh, I was like, oh, well, you got to let me pay you to to use this because this is amazing. You know, it it. It gives so much clarity to people looking to buy pre-construction, not just where, you know, not just context, like where the site is, but also it, it allows you to know, like down the line, your view might be obstructed because of this proposal or that proposal, which is something that obviously never gets disclosed to you in any sales center. Nobody no ever way. discloses that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what is it called? I, I, Future Model TO? Yeah, future model TO on Twitter. He's got some amazing renderings. Um, it also sh shows like the grandeur of the of the building, right? Like you kind of just like, you know, you hear like a certain level of stories, or you hear you're going to be on you know this floor or whatever. But to actually see it towering over all those buildings, you're just kind of like, wow, like that's the building that I want to live in. So I think it's, I think developers should be should be having this type of stuff right at their fingertips. I agree. There's a lot of companies working on it. There's um, 3D cityscapes. Um, Raza is working on it right now. They're, they're using Unreal Engine 3 to create, it's like um, most HD realistic, you can, like walk around the city with an avatar with all the future pre-construction projects. Very interesting. Um, Ooh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, we're getting, I mean, it's about time, right? The pre-construction industry or just real estate in general in Canada, I feel lags technology. Me uh, too, I agree. So it's nice compared to, to compared on. to where though you're saying you're saying in Canada. So where in the world? I don't think are they nailing the world is really nailing it to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, it might just be real estate in general yeah. that legs uh, just innovation feels like. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean there's people working on it, so hopefully it gets better. Well, all those tech companies are just trying to squash the brokerages, right? So they're putting all their big billion dollar hedge fund money into like squashing the real estate model, not making the consumer experience better. Right? Exactly. And it's not working. I think most of them, I mean, no. so none no. of them are turning a profit because I mean, it just, it, you know, like, I think they're all approaching it from sort of the, the, the wrong angle. We're definitely going to see some massive innovation in our space. Um, I mean, and, and we need to, there's a lot of really, you know, low information, low quality realtors out there. So there needs to be some sort of innovation. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think just cutting commissions really qualifies as an innovation. No. Um, so we'll see where it goes. But uh, yeah, some interesting stuff being worked on. That's cool. There's some really interesting stuff being worked on. That is for sure. So we, we talk a lot about like current market. We started this um, show uh, during the pandemic, right? So according to Daryl's numbers, it's about June. So we're in, we're in, a, it's about seven, eight months now. Um, so a lot of the conversations we have with people who are coming on the show is like, what's going on right now? How have things changed? Where do you things, where do you see things going? Like what happened with the pre-construction market when um, COVID started, you know, back in March, 2020? Yeah. So, I mean, pre-construction died to uh, like nothing started. 
basically everyone started looking to buy pre-construction in the suburbs. Um, and you kind of see that with like Menke's Festival Towers and Vaughn managed to sell out at like a thousand bucks a foot um, because, you know, people were thinking work from here, home is here to stay, suburbs are hot, you know, freehold in the suburbs is hot. And that's kind of where the volume shifted. Um, and downtown was dead quiet. Um, investors shook out pretty quickly. Um, and so what happened is like we... We still closed a lot of deals last year, um, pre-construction, but what happened is our deal size increased a lot because the people actually buying pre-construction condos for us anyways, for the majority of last year were, you know, suddenly we were, instead of dealing with 70% investors and 30% end users, all of a sudden it was 70% end users. It was downsizers, empty nesters, looking to buy a pre-construction for three or four years from now. Um, and so we were selling larger units at more boutique builds instead of a bunch of micro units at uh, high rise buildings. Um, so that shift happened pretty quick. So and, what did that um, do to the overall dollar value sold? Uh, I mean, for us, it, it, it increased it. Increased um, it. So you did better. We did better last year than the year prior. Yeah. Wow. Um, but that said, January and February were unbelievably hot and had covid never happened we would also done better than the previous year um yep. so just different it was it was the, yeah. t the business model was changed and the buyer's mentality and behavior changed but overall i think everyone felt that from the contractors we've talked to different people like you know land developers everything everybody's kind of had sort of a boom year in 2020 <laughs> like i mean that's uh that's what's happening yeah it's incredible yeah. It yeah. So, absolutely so I get a lot of my pre-construction stuff from Daryl. There's a few other people that I, you know, pay attention to. I'm not in that space. So I don't get a lot of info. Um, are there projects downtown Toronto that were selling throughout 2020 that were high rise, that were the big projects that we're used to seeing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, 199 Church launched and managed to sell most of their inventory, right? Yeah. Jack managed to sell a lot of their inventory. Eastern, uh, 28 Eastern. 28 Eastern sold out really, really quickly. 28 Eastern made a lot of sense from a pricing perspective, which is unusual. Um, so, I mean, they had that advantage. Uh, I think 199 Church and, and Jack were, you know, relative to market value, higher priced. Um, so it was interesting to see that investors still, you know, kind of came out and submitted worksheets. Um, but it wasn't, you know, had, had it a launch pre-COVID at the same price as it would have been one of those situations where there's like a thousand worksheets and only 300 units. Mm. Um, obviously, they actually had to, uh, you know, sell slowly, slowly and steadily, uh, which is unusual, or, or at least for Toronto in recent years, it's unusual for pre-construction. Um, I prefer it because there's nothing more, I hate nothing more than getting 30 worksheets and only getting 10 units. Um, and you know, there are a lot of brokers out there who in their emails will say guaranteed allocation. They're full of shit. You mm -hmm. know, they're going to get 50 worksheets, five allocations. They're just like everyone else. Um, but the, yeah, there's nothing worse than that because, um, there's just nothing worse than someone wanting to buy a condo, being ready to sign for a unit telling you they want it especially if they're an end user and not being able to deliver on that allocation yeah uh, well look, so look at the resale market right now where there's 30 offers right so exactly you know you're you're 29 uh, unsuccessful bids right so are you working yeah. on this new i keep seeing the eight wellesley from every angle from top everywhere. secret right now daryl yeah this is a seriously VIP, 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 VIP,
But uh, are you working on that one? Did you get an allocation there? We're selling it. Yeah, we're selling it. And how's that? Of course. Um, we'll see. Uh, a little early to say. Uh, we'll see. One, I mean, so Nouveau 2, you guys saw that one launch in Oakville? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I heard about it. I mean, you know, word is well over 1,300 worksheets for that. Whoa, wow. how many units? You never really know when people, I mean, it's, it's all the rumor mill and you never really know, like, the truth is, like, oftentimes when you get 50 worksheets, you might only actually have 20 serious buyers. So it's hard to parse from that what that actually means. But, you know, that's an incredible turnout. I'm expecting one Jarvis will be probably even more and eight wells will be probably about the same. Um, it's just uh, people love that location. Like, people just love, like, Anything along Young is going to sell very, very, very quickly. Sure. Now you said you said something there though that just triggered a, a a thought for me. So developers, it's in their best interest to let people know that there was way more worksheets than there really was, and they're not governed by the same RICO rule set, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, thirteen hundred work worksheets. Now, if I ended up getting an allocation and I've got my unit, I'm going to in that cooling down period, I'm going to fulfill my terms because I'm thinking there's a lineup of other people who want to buy it. Right. Yeah. What do you think? Why do you think prices go up 20k the day after platinum allocations? It's not because it's justified. It's because everyone's going to firm up if they realize that if on paper they just made 20k. Ah, right? ah look at that uh, inside well, working. Like that's that. one reason, but the other reason is because the developer can re release another bunch of units at a higher price, right? Yep. Yep. Yes. Nice. Um, I mean, you never see pricing go backwards in pre-construction. That would be uh, a disaster. So, but yep. so, don't you miss the days where you know you were invited to a cocktail party with a piano player, and the 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 beverages were flowing, and there was lineups out the door the next day, and there's a frenzy around the the stupid 3D model, and everybody's going bananas. Yes and no. Uh, I, I honestly, like I prefer being able to take my client to two or three different sales centers, figuring out exactly what works the, for them, doing ROI and cash flow calculations on each individual unit and having them form, make a very informed decision rather than saying, Hey, you know, you did a worksheet for here, are your three top choices. I got you your third choice, kind of, sort of, not really. It's at a price that maybe you didn't exactly agree to, but I have three other buyers. So do you want it or not? You got to tell me in the next 10 minutes. And, I hate that type of sales. And it's, it's right sales. beside the trash compactor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not sales. Fair amount of it, because obviously in Toronto, you, you you have to participate in that if your clients want units at these high interest projects. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I prefer you know the slow and steady sort of let people find exactly what works for them type of type of sales. Um, it doesn't seem like that's an unrealistic yeah. way of selling real estate. Like for it to take three months to sell 400 units doesn't sound like it's too too hard a pill to swallow for, for the developer. Right. Seems ideal. Seems like that would be a great situation to be in. Well, you could raise <laughs> yeah. prices a lot more over a few months as things sell than you can in three hours. Yeah. Well, they yeah. also, I mean, they all like they all hold back inventory too, right? So they launch 60% of their units, sell to all the worksheets, have a bunch of people who didn't get units and then say, you know, sold out of what we released. Uh, and then they release 20% at a later date. And part of that is hedging because if construction costs go up, they, they need to be able to make margin somewhere. 
Um, so it's actually a smart sales strategy rather than a deceptive one. Um, but it, it, it is, it's one of those things where, uh, it's hard as a buyer. There's no transparency in this industry. Like you said, it's not governed by Rico. There's absolutely no transparency in pre-construction. And that's actually why I started doing YouTube videos. It's like, I don't actually make money. Nobody, nobody sees my YouTube videos and calls me to buy a condo. Like I make all of my sales off of our website, but I just found like this industry has such a lack of true information and just even more than that just a ton of bullshit information and so mm -hmm. someone's got to be out there at least putting some you know information out there for free what give us some examples of the bullshit information that that gets well, I don't put out there anyone's well don't no. tell us well you already did the vv the vvvip and saying that they're gonna get so uh, many allocations like that's the type of stuff know. not who but like what's some of the shit that people are slinging out there these days well, okay. So for example, like a lot of, there are people who are pitching assignment sales as this get rich quick, you know, buy a condo today because there's a thousand worksheets, only 200 units. You can reassign it in a year for a hundred K profit. Mm. And it's like these people live in a world where real estate only appreciates at 20% a year. And you know, it's like, reality is you're buying a pre-construction unit today you're paying 20 percent over market you need the market to go up 30 percent before you even have 10 percent profit in the deal and then hello realtor commissions and taxes yep. simon you know, fee yeah yeah exactly and it's like i saw there's just one comment i saw on red flag deals a couple couple months ago maybe it was toronto reddit i don't know but it was uh, it was upvoted egregiously and it was my realtor tells me you know these things uh, get assigned and flipped three or four times before even closing. So somebody buys it today for 500, assigns it next year for 600, who signs it to someone else for 700 and so on and so forth. And I'm like, where, where are you people yeah. getting this information? Yeah. It's not a GameStop options contract. Like the, these things don't have <laughs> that kind of liquidity. Uh, yeah. You can't dump them like that and, and walk away with 100K profit or we'd all be doing it, right? But, but let's touch yeah, on the assignments really quickly. Sell any of the units? Why wouldn't you all just buy them yourself? Oh, exactly. Yeah. Was was there a record amount of assignments sold in 2020, or does it just feel like there was? For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've never seen um, I've never seen the assignment play, uh, marketplace that flooded. There were a lot of people who were scared to close in the current rent rental conditions yeah. and trying to dump their units. And I think there was also a lot of people who realized some harsh realities, like. There was a ton of assignments at playground condos and the problem was those people all bought at a thousand a square two years ago and and that's market value today so they were you know what i mean like after you calculate for commissions like a lot of those people did lose money not a lot but you know maybe broke even or lost a little bit so, um so i mean i think a lot of people uh well i got calls all the time i got i, I must have got 30 or 40 calls this year to to assignment uh to sell um playground units the assignment from people who didn't buy with me, by the way. So the first question is always, well, where's your broker? Where's mm -hmm. the guy who sold you the thing and told Cousin. you to sign it for profit? Why yeah. are you calling me? Yeah, because that guy's a fucking snake his, who just screwed No, them. his cousin's working his other full-time job, and yeah. he's a part-time agent. That's what happens. He lost his job yeah. at the restaurant now, and now he's uh, working in the Amazon factory. So hold on right, a second. So, I, I got a down. couple of Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me okay. shake that off. Daryl gets, gets real, real estate agents is a hot topic for Daryl. Right. I love all of you. Um, so, okay, two things. Can you currently make the rents work in downtown Toronto on a new condo? Well, let's start there because I forgot um, the other part of the question. When you say make the rents work, do you mean and, and cash flow? 
Well, that is generally what I mean by making them work, yes. Otherwise, no. what, what, well, is there another option? Yeah, you can bleed cash if you're high income. Oh, okay, but okay. Are there people that consider that working? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, look, like, our cap rates have con uh, compressed, right? Rent's down 20%, but the truth is mortgage is down 1%, and that actually offsets it. Uh, when you account for principal repay repayment, um, mo I would you know most people who are buying six seven hundred thousand dollar condos with twenty percent down as an investment do have the ability to bleed some cash every month, um, and I think like people like Better Dwelling loves to put out articles like you know fifty three percent of people who close on pre construction condos are cash flow negative like it's fucking like it's doomsday. It's like, okay, well, what about Hong Kong or New York City or you know, like any other major metro where you can't cash flow with 20% down either? I mean, that's the price of doing business in, 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 in Toronto. That's the price of doing business in New York. That's just the way it is. You can't mm -hmm. expect to buy in a blue chip market and have it cash flow. Like that's the Toronto of five years ago. We're, we're looking different now and it's only going to get worse. Cash flow is only going to get worse from here. It's not going to get better. So do you need 50% um, equity in a condo right now for it to cash flow? 30, do you need 30? 30. Yeah. But, but what advice would you give to a client? If they said, I got 50% down, you know, guide me here, Jordan. This is, I have high income. I have this down payment. Like they could look at buying multiple units, right. And, and find something that they're more comfortable with if they wanted to put 25% down on, Two different units or keep right. a little reserve fund uh, aside for the for the cash flow differential right well yeah and it, it would depend on their situation like if someone can't afford uh some negative cash flow obviously putting up more capital up front to make sure it's at least neutral is a viable option also there are like there are some good pockets where the numbers can still kind of work downtown's just not one like the junction you can make the numbers work in the junction um there are pockets of etobicoke where the numbers work um, it, it's, it's hard to find those, those opportunities, but they do exist. Um, you just have to kind of find a market dislocation where a pre-construction unit is priced less than it should be. That's kind of the caveat. That's kind of what you have to Scarborough. find in order to cash flow. Yeah. Scarborough is a good one. Scarborough is a great one. It's Scarborough is a great one. Thank you. <laughs> That's a great yeah. segue. Yeah, now there was a, there was a wonderful <laughs> article that came out, uh, yesterday, I think. Uh, for investors and end users alike, there's something special about Scarborough, and they're talking about a property called Perch. I don't know if you had got an allocation yeah. at Perch. Um, so I everybody has an allocation. Perch. Well, probably, but so, so I don't know. I'm a little <laughs> bit confused, to be honest with you. So I'm I'm a huge proponent of Scarborough. I know Scarborough very well. I know this Perch deal very well. I know both gentlemen that they're talking about in the article very well. Um, I keep getting emails about Perch and new, I don't know if they're really new releases or I don't know if they're really new terms that they're, they're offering or new incentives, but it doesn't seem to me like it's going so well. Well, nothing's flying off the shelf right now, except uh, th there's this wild phenomenon where when you, when you call something a VIP release, and you take worksheets for it, it's going to sell very, very quickly. But as soon as you have a price list and a hot sheet and you're selling lingering inventory, even if your prices are better objectively than the VIP launch across the street, you will sell slower. 
people like feeling special. They like feeling mm-hmm. exclusive, like they got something someone else didn't get. It's very interesting to me. You know, it's like two years ago, 36 Zora launched and they were at 900 bucks a square foot on the Queensway. And there were units, a new release of units at um, 859 the Queensway, literally right around the corner, like couldn't be closer um, for 775 a foot. And they couldn't move. They couldn't move these units, 775 a foot, despite being literally 15% cheaper than 36 Zora. And 36 Zora sold out in like a weekend. It's just this interesting thing that happens with like consumer psychology where like feeling special, feeling like you got a deal, feeling like you got, you know, something exclusively works really, really well. Perch has a hot sheet. You know, you can, you can call someone up and buy exactly which unit you want. You don't have to be forced to, to take something. So, um, you know, it's one of those things that uh, it's just, it's just the way it works sometimes. So, so you think but, it's a marketing strategy. That's the problem. If there's um, a problem. I mean, I don't know that there's a problem. I just, I continually see it. They're and selling. It's been, it's been months. Yeah, I mean, they're selling. They're moving units, so they're not doing too bad. The other thing is, is like, we have this warped, to us, we see, you know, we see a, a condo try to sell for six months, and, and we think things are going bad, because in Toronto, we're so used to things selling out on a weekend. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've visited some sales centers in Manhattan that still have units, like 30% of their building left after the building is done. Like it takes seven years to sell out a building in Manhattan, you know? Um, We're just in Toronto incredibly, like we have a supply crisis. And so we're just so used to things liquidating, you know, absorbing by the market incredibly quickly um, that we have this kind of war perception. I, I mean, I think for a lot of developers, like six month to 12 month sales timeline is great. Um, so I don't know that it's not going well. It's probably just, that's probably just, you know, how they're selling. That's how, that's how they prefer to sell. Got it. So now we had a, uh, we had one of our, uh, friends that watched the show actually had a question for you. TK, do you want to, uh, you got that there handy? No, I don't, but shout out. Let's do a quick shout out to the uh, urban Zen girl. Who's constantly, uh, commenting and supporting the show. We really appreciate everybody who watches our show and listens. So thank you very much. But our friend Brian Jordan is also back, who is asking about um, his condos that he currently owns. Yes. And he made a point of asking you, TK, and you, Jordan. Um, I hear I have it here. Do you want to read it? Do you have it? No, I got it. Go for it, mister. So um, if you were going to be listing or marketing a property, now this is a a resale question, but you're an expert, so you're going to be able to handle this one. So uh, if you're listing or marketing a property to attract the foreign buyers, so the new people who will be coming into the city, students, immigration, all that kind of stuff, uh, post-COVID, um, in addition to listing the property on MLS, how and where would you market a small two-bedroom, one-bath condo unit to attract these types of buyers? Would you stage the condo? And any other recommendations or suggestions wanting to sell one in 2023 and then another one each year after that. So he's specifically looking to sell to foreign buyers or recent immigrants? Well, he knows that people are going to be coming into the city from a broader you know, span than they are today. So he's saying, what's the best strategy to be able to make sure that he's reaching more people at the end of the day, right? Okay. Well, I mean, I like... Uh... 
I would I would say like for one like if, if you're specifically for whatever reason trying to target foreign buyers um, maybe you have an assignment or something in a specific like first of all foreign buyers like very specific locations it's what we've seen right they like young street a lot they like there's very specific places that they like to invest so if if you're in you know um, Etobicoke like good luck attracting a foreign investor unless he or she is Russian um, but like one thing would be listing with an agent who has those connections because like uh, I don't have a voice in these foreign countries, right? Our website doesn't rank for condos for sale um, in Canada, in Israel or whatever. Like it's, you have to list with the person that has the email database of those foreign buyers. Like, yeah, we have a lot, but um, I think there's a, a couple people in Toronto who have just massive databases of foreign, foreign investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would always stage if possible because it depends on the size of the unit. But if you're talking about a five, 600 square foot one bedroom, yeah, you really want to stage. It's going to make the open the space up. It's going to, yeah, benefit you in the long run for sure. Okay. There you, there go, you go, Brian. Brian. Ooh. <laughs> you heard got your here. answer. So. You got your answer. Now, That's great. I would like to add that uh, if you don't need to sell, like, why in the world would you sell? We're bullish. Our, our show is all about why there's housing crisis, why we don't have enough supply. We like the sky's the limit. Like we're just, we haven't even yeah. seen the, the start of it yet. It's, uh, I agree. it's, it's only getting started. Um, yeah. Yeah. We have a serious undersupply problem and I don't see an easy way out of it. No. Let's, so. let's talk about the reality now. So January, 2021, all of a sudden the condo market's back. Mm-hmm. Not only sudden, is it back, again. it's like 85% higher than last January. Yeah. Sales are up. Yeah, it's the highest January uh, for sales, uh, for condo sales on record, right? Well, so so, so Jordan, at the, Jordan a few minutes ago said that, you know, if COVID didn't happen, like January and February for him were already rip-roaring, right? And, and so now we have stats to show 85% higher than that. And I don't think February is kind of, has February slowed from January? I haven't seen a fade. If anything, the opposite. Right. So mm-hmm. sorry, sorry to cut you off. That's that's kind of what I do. But uh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how quickly. Uh, and and I've been saying this on my videos and in my emails since uh, November. Uh, and my po- have you guys had Daniel Foshan? You should nope. have Foshan's great. Yeah. No. He, we'll talk uh, to our booking manager. Great. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, no, I said on his podcast back in November that as soon as um, as soon as you see months of inventory start to trend down and Scott Ingram on Twitter is a great guy to follow to because he's updating those uh, MOI charts every single every single week. Um, mm-hmm. As soon as you see it start to trend down, that's how you know the bottom has probably been reached as long as it's sustained for a couple, you know, three, four weeks, it's starting to trend down. And we saw that towards the tail end of November, early December, MOI started to creep down. Did I think we would be at 1.1 months of inventory by now? No. I mean, the reversal is unbelievably quick, like, like, yeah. Breakneck. Yeah. Um, it's not like three or four months of inventory at one point. Like it was like, but you can't yeah. go pretty, into pretty ridiculous. A, you can't go into a pandemic in a crisis, um, sell, you know, almost equivalent to, to the hottest year uh, on record and come out of it, not in a crisis, you know, like all of these job sites are moving slower than normal all the applications are moving slower than normal. Like the crisis has been magnified 
by by the pandemic, right? For sure, and I think I think there's not just short term implications, but medium term because, you know, like last year alone, for example, condos downtown, a lot of developers who were supposed to launch last year hold, held off. Like a lot of product that we were getting ready to market pushed into this year. Yeah. Um, mm. Which means so did their construction and so did their completion. Right. Okay. And that doesn't include the construction delays. And that doesn't include the fact that last year, inevitably last year, and we won't see this for, for a little bit, but I, I, I don't want to guarantee, but I would assume that last year made some projects that were sold out or close to sold out all of a sudden economically unviable. And so we're going to see a wave of cancellations, I think for small, for some small developers and some small products that were really close to their profit margin. Um, because cost of construction has gone up and COVID delays. And, and I think uh, that's only going to obviously hurt our supply side of the equation. So I think it's not just, you know, the immediate short term. I think over the next three or four years, we're going to be feeling the ramifications of less supply, um, which is, you know, we've, we already have a supply problem. So this is, uh, you know, not good. Uh, oh, great if you own, but not good if you don't. Own. And mm -hmm. on top of the, the shortage of supply, I mean demand is going to ramp up i think to levels we have never seen since after world war ii which I, I i don't think any of us have seen that right but like realistically when the floodgates open and immigration starts really starting to pour in and people start going back to work and people start going back to school like this is gonna be a madhouse i think so yeah, I think so. I think like we're at 1.1 months of inventory. We hit wow. 1.1 months of inventory during a stay at home order. Crazy. Right. So yeah. imagine how many other people are like, you know, I think it was, uh, it was Bloomberg put out their survey that said Canadian housing um, sentiment is at high, highest point since 2017. Um, so imagine like how many people do want to deploy their capital in the housing market but haven't simply because they don't want to leave their home yet. Um, like if we're hitting 1.1 months of inventory during a stay at home order, I'm very curious to see where things head as we start to open up. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Like in December, you, uh, it was not a buyer's market, but you could, you, you could, you could negotiate, you could play ball with sellers. You could, you know, view a couple different options in a building and, and take your time and you could have conditions. Like I had a client of mine who bought an investment unit, 510 King uh, for um, 810,000. And uh, this was in Jan early January. We had a status review certificate, uh, stat status review uh, condition a, um, and a finance condition. And the last time that floor plan sold was the floor below us identical unit back in August for 70K more than we paid. And two weeks after we bought that unit, there was another unit listed in 510 King that got eight offers. So like we just missed, we, you know, well, we just, we got in just in time before things got crazy. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's fascinating how quickly the market has shifted uh, from a buyer's to a seller's or a balance to a seller's market. When you just uh, did so a, you just did a YouTube video I saw where within three weeks you made, your buyer made 65 grand or something like that, wasn't it? That wasn't my buyer. That the, the unit in Humber Bay. I don't remember where it was, but I remember you were showing the similar units. One was on the eighth floor. One was on the tenth floor. Same building, same layout, same finishes. I think yeah. the difference was an island or something like that. And one of them. Yeah, that's yeah. 
that's the one in Humber Bay where, yeah, they sold uh, two weeks apart and yeah, $65,000 difference, identical unit. Amazing. And then there's 50, there's, did you guys see the one that sold at 50 Wellesley for $131,000 more than the exact same unit? So uh, it was an 04 unit, identical mm -hmm. with parking. One sold January, I want to say first week of January for 891. And then the next one sold for over a million um crazy like holy cow wow. so we were talking about that we were talking about this in december and, and january and, and february that as the market changes people undersell their condos because they hire an agent who doesn't have the pulse of the market who just thinks well i heard the condo market was bad last year or we tried to sell last year so the mentality is it's gonna be hard to sell so they listed at a price based off of where the market was they accept an offer within one day they think, yes, we did it because the agent's getting paid a commission. The seller feels, oh, I dodged a bullet. And then, you know, what was it? Two weeks later, someone's selling one for $130,000 more. And imagine being that seller saying, oh my God, who did I hire to sell my unit? Exactly. And that's part of the reason why I think you should avoid commission cutting agents. You want someone who specializes and dominates the market because they're going to know what's going on. Like a lot of people don't, you know, some people say you shouldn't use top producers because you're just another number to them. You're just another commission check. I beg to differ. I think they know more about what's going on than anyone else. The top producer, the people doing 20, at least 20 deals a year know what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. They're in the market every single day. They have yeah. listings, they have buyers all the time. They see, you know, they're, the first thing they do in the morning is they browse the solds on MLS and the neighborhoods they work. And then they browse the new listings. And it's like, you don't want to work with the part-time agent who uncle Joe, the realtor who does two deals a year. It's that's you're sabotaging yourself. Yeah. You know, you when Treb 1% commission back, but you're losing more than 1% on the price. When, when Treb was having that whole thing with the competition bureau and it was like releasing data and it was like all this stuff that was never threatening whatsoever. Like to yeah. have the data means nothing. The data is so small of a part of the entire equation. Like there's just, talking with other agents, talking with other clients, seeing the sales, being involved in the offers, looking at how many showings you're getting on a product. Like there's so much information that only somebody who's constantly busy and who has listings could possibly know. Ha having the data means nothing. I can look at an area and look at the data and be like, you know, is it good? Is it bad? But if I don't know the area very well, there's a lot of missing information in there. So when they were arguing about who's going to get the data or not, I was like, just give up the data already. Like, what are we worried about? Well, right? Like yeah, people yeah. have the data. They but they those, have a friend who's got a real estate license. But those are those are old school guys protecting what they feel is like proprietary, proprietary, yeah. and not not only yeah. proprietary. These are probably guys that would manipulate that information all the time, right? By leaving out certain listings and leaving out certain sales to like make the case that they wanted to make. I mean, that was that was pretty prevalent. It's probably still pretty prevalent with most people, but that that's where it's coming from, right? The young guys like you, you know, who are open, honest books and understand how business should work these days, you don't care if the information's out there because you're the asset, right? But most of those guys, they weren't the asset. They thought that manipulating the information was the asset. I agree. Yeah, I think, I mean, like the whole world's headed towards a more transparent, open data world. And I think I mean, that's your first, that's the first sign of a realtor you don't want to deal with is someone who wants to, you know, clutch, clutch the data and not, not allow it out to the public. Um, it's not just all the missing pieces of informa information to your point. It's also just the way to interpret it. Right. 
Um, and I think, uh, yeah, it's fascinating to me that we're still battling this and trying to withhold that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And, and the sad, sorry, the, the sad part too is these other tech companies, like I'll use House Sigma as an example, but I know that there's other condo websites and stuff like that too. So without, without uh, saying who they are, they're, they have so much more information than what the richest real estate board probably in the world is able to be able to come up with. Like, yeah, I know. Why, why not just have a platform, hire guys like you and people who know what they're talking about, who are also got the, um, the tech savvy uh, part to their backgrounds and say, look, design us something that is so engaging for the user that has so much information that no one could ever possibly compete because we're able to invest way more money into it than anybody else. But I don't know what these other companies are investing into these sites. Like, like, like I said, House Sigma and stuff like that. But I'm sure Treb could afford to do more. Absolutely, if they wanted to, and if it was right? important to them, for sure, no question. I mean, it's mind blowing that a, you know, a, uh, a private person was able to build a better platform than than Treb. Um, it's it's actually pretty embarrassing. Like that, I prefer using House Sigma than the tools that we pay for as realtors. Mm -hmm. um, but I think also like there's a level of bureaucracy, right? Like I, I, I would imagine just changing the color of a logo on the dashboard of Treb probably takes three board meetings to pass. Like, you know, they're at the, they're at the point where when you have a monopoly like that, like you're not really incentivized to innovate. And that's when you just start battling other people who are innovating by withholding data. Right. So I think that's kind of the point that it's at. Yeah. Eventually something will shift. Eventually they're going to have to change. Um, but yeah, I just don't know when that's going to be. So let's get back to the to this rip roaring market here that we have. So you know, we we feel all of us that are kind of on the ground, we all feel like this thing's going bananas. And then and then there's articles that come out saying, you know, this is all going to end because thousands of Toronto's Airbnb investors plan to sell this year. Like, okay, first of all. Who the hell knows already <laughs> that they're going to sell this year and hasn't listed their survey, right? They surveyed all these thousands of guys, right? 10 so, of them. So like five out of 10 hey, said no, they're selling. Better Dwelling probably surveyed their <laughs> comment section. Was this one yeah. Better Dwellings? Yeah, it might have been. Um, okay, so there's that out there. Do we see this as a risk, gentlemen? Uh, I'm not too concerned. I mean, the market could use a little extra supply, to be honest with you. Um, Airbnb has always been out, made out to be a bigger factor than it is. I did a video on it. It was like uh, where I counted up all the units, uh, all the apartment units in Toronto and GTA. It's like 1.6 million or whatever. And the total possible amount of Airbnbs is something like 30. And then now we're down to like 18. And so, I mean, you would need all of the, all of them to reach the same consensus and jump on the market at the same time to really have a dramatic impact. Um, and I also just, I mean, I have Airbnb investors, like most of them are just pivoting to long-term rental, not just dumping their investments, Yeah. you know, mm -hmm. like, like they're not stupid. And, and when you're up $200,000 on your investment, but you don't need the cash, like why pay the taxes? Why liquidate an appreciating asset, especially when we're, you know, entering a period of, we printed what 30% of, of all of our currency in the last year. Like these people aren't stupid, right? Like you need a hedge against that. I, I very seriously doubt, like it's definitely going to impact supply. Some people are going to sell. Obviously there were a lot of listings terminated in December as people didn't want to, you know, keep their condo listing up over the holidays and 
you know, I assumed more of them would relist in January. Obviously, not very many of them did because we're having yeah. this current supply crisis. I think mm -hmm. a lot of them are playing wait and see. I don't think there's definitely going to be a point where some of them start jumping back on the market, probably spring. But I don't think it's going to, you know, take us from this extreme seller's market into a balanced or buyer's market. Yeah, I mean, th th that's what I was just thinking is even if thousands of them came on the market simultaneously, like we're at, you're saying we're at 1.1 months of inventory. I mean, it moves the needle to still a seller's market, right? Mm -hmm. 5,000 of them would double the months of inventory. Yeah. Not triple or quadruple it, right? So, so one of the things Daryl and I was always talking about was these highly leveraged Airbnb where their model was buy high, private finance, whatever, because they're making $8,000 a month. So they're just collecting condos because they think this is a genius idea that they've come up with that they learned you know, on a, on a Facebook group or something. YouTube so those video. guys, they had to sell already. Those guys were out the door back in July and August, right? Like they couldn't hang on to those units. They had to sell. The, the, the carrying costs were so great that they had no choice, maybe take, take their losses or whatever. Um, they couldn't afford to do a long-term rental. So I agree what Jordan's saying is the smart investors, the ones who were just taking advantage of, you know, a little bit extra uh, income will transition to long-term rentals because they can afford to do it. I and mean, they they've got panic. enough equity to do it. Yeah. They don't panic. Sorry? They're smart. They don't panic. Yeah. They, they just yeah. adjust. So, okay. So we have, so we've got Airbnbs. We've also got something saying Yorkville condo prices are dropping so much that they're actually becoming affordable. Okay. So <laughs> if you actually read the article, it talks about a 10% drop in Yorkville pricing, which average they, we're talking, they're using average pricing as their, who the fuck knows what they're using. They just write shit. Okay. They, first of all, I don't care. 10% does not make Yorkville affordable to anybody, even the people that could afford Yorkville. One scholar was selling at like 26 or $3,000 a foot and you weren't even getting a finished unit, right? Like what the- Really, eh? That's crazy. Yeah, and, and just a crappy condo like from Cressford was probably 15, 16, 1800 bucks a buildable. Am I, am I out? To lunch with these numbers? Well, I'm not going to call their units crappy, but, you know, those are accurate. Right. Okay. Wow. I, I'm not saying crappy. I'm saying compared to like uh, what, 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 a 50 scholar or whatever they called that thing. Um, right. Okay. They're, they're not like super luxury. They're, they're a basic condo in Yorkville. But anyways, yeah, I don't mean to, to, to say anything negative towards Cressford, who just screwed all kinds of people out of all of their money. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. That is perfectly normal and perfectly legal. But the, the point I'm trying to make is if, if a fifteen or $1,600 per square foot condo goes down 10%, how is that affordable to who? Who is that affordable to? Yeah, also, I think like the problem with a lot of these articles is, like you said, they're sloppily written. They're written quickly. Nobody validates the data. They take the average selling price one month versus the average selling price of the year prior to the same month. And they say prices went down 10%. It's like, okay, well, what if product mix shifted? What if more small units sold that month? And what if last year the average was dragged up by a $30 million deal in Yorkville? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's asinine. It's ridiculous. You got to look at the condo market is so segmented. I tell people this all the time. You know, like last year when we saw micro units go on a fire sale where you could pick up micro studios and stuff downtown for 15% less than you would have paid the year prior, you know, a lot of people thought that that meant the whole market was 15% down. And it's like, well, no, 
hard lofts were still selling like hotcakes at full market value. Why? Because they're unique. They're designated to end users and there's very few of them. Um, and it's important to remember that like the condo market is so segmented. So you like, you can have like a building like ice, right? Where there's a lot of Airbnbs have this effect where when COVID comes into play, like all of a sudden deals, there's tons of great deals at ice. And anyone who's selling their not Airbnb unit at ICE is also screwed because of that. But directly across the street at 10 York, values might hold up great because they're mostly end users and you don't have that flood of inventory. So it's like, you know, does the does there being a ton of inventory at ICE affect 10 York's price a little bit, right? It's going to bleed over because when you're comparing deals, when buyers are comparing deals, they, they look at, at both values. But with, with condos, it's just so highly highly segmented like uh and we saw that last year uh urban, urban toronto put out a great graph that was like the elevator discount and it showed that you know high rise or 40 stories saw saw their value down year over year but buildings with less than 10 stories actually saw their values up last year and it's because they're boutique end user buildings that people that wasn't impacted by COVID, right Mm. Um, so I think it's important to remember that. And like, yeah, I mean, the amount of garbage articles that people send to me every single day from, I mean, Better Dwellings, one of the better bearish uh, places, they actually do some research, but it's like some of the shit that gets sent to me from BlogTO or wherever is just unbelievable sometimes. It is absolutely unbelievable. Be- better Dwellings is a great read, but very scary on most days. He, he very yeah, I mean, like, look, guys, you've been bearish since 2015. Eventually, you're going to be right at some point, but you don't get to <laughs> declare victory anymore because condo prices have doubled in the time that you've been bearish on them. That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, no accountability. So we're coming up, I guess, to the end of the show. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, Jordan, you're really, you're, you know, you're really good at your field. It seems like there's a lot of stuff that you need to know to be able to be part of the pre-construction. Where do you see pre-construction going into 2021 this year? Are people going to start releasing the, the units again? Um, are investors going to flock back in? Are prices going to go up? What do you, what do you think is going to happen? And also, let me just add to that. What about the other segments of pre-construction, uh, housing and townhouses and semis? Well, there was a townhouse project with 15 townhomes that got 300 worksheets the other week. Where? Um, I can't remember. I think it was Milton. Milton. Everybody wants to live in Milton and Durham now. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, so they can spend their Friday nights at Kelsey's. $1.2 million to live in 3,000 square feet with no backyard in Milton. Sign up here. Yeah. Dan, uh, Daniel Foch, actually, great guy to have on because he'll talk talk to you guys about that. He uh, he's been uh, kind of opening my eyes to the fact that people are buying these rural properties in Innisfil and Tiny and in Aurelia, and they're paying 20, 30, 40 percent more than they would have just a year ago. And they're coming from places like Toronto, where they think 10 to 20 days on market is normal, and that these these assets are liquid. They're not realizing that they've just got themselves trapped in you know, a potential liquidity trap where if they do need to sell, if they do get called back to the office, those properties out there normally take six to 12 months to sell. And so you know, they, some of these people might really be getting themselves into a pickle. But anyways, I digress. Um, in terms of pre-construction, prices are going to get higher and higher. Construction costs have gone up. Land values have not really gone down. So developers are still trading land amongst themselves at pretty close to the same price pre-COVID. Um, and construction costs are up, obviously developmental levies, the city only increases every year. 
those never go down. Nope. And um, yeah, like there's nothing launching downtown south of 1400 a foot ever again. Like it's just, it's just not happening. It's not economically feasible. Right. Mm. Um, so I think, I think you're going to see a lot of inventory come to market in places like Etobicoke, like Scarborough. Um, and, I, and you're going to get better value there. You're going to be able to get a lot closer to market value uh, because developers can actually deliver on, on, on um, you know, better pricing out there. Um, and I do think investors are going to flood back. I'm already feeling it. Like I'm already getting a ton of previous clients who want to reinvest. There's a lot of cash saved up in the market that's just waiting to, to flood into real estate or to whatever investable assets. Um, you know, a lot of my clients have made a ridiculous amount of money on their stock portfolios. Just people are seem very bullish on real estate. And I think a, another part of that is, did you guys see the most recent draw for immigration? I saw 43,000 or something like that, 23,000 in Canada. Yeah, expre express entry 27,000 in one week, which is something like a 600% in or yeah, 5 or 600% increase over the, the, the busiest week we've seen in the last two years. What percentage of that ended up in Ontario, do you, do you know? I know that normally we Ontario gets like 40%. Uh, the GTA gets like 35% of it, yeah, right? Yeah. Historically speaking. Um, where are they going to live? Yeah, exactly. And people, I mean, people, the bears love to talk about, well, immigrants don't come here and immediately buy a home. I beg to differ because I work with a lot of them. And, you know, Remax did a study where they said 30, they, their conclusion was 30% of immigrants buy within two years of getting here. Um, but it doesn't matter. These people, the housing bears don't seem to realize that that causes uh, upwards pressure on rents. Whether they rent or buy doesn't matter. As long as they're not living under a bridge, they're causing stress on housing supply. Well, right? And we have articles that say that if you actually get into the rent numbers, they went up this year. Really? Yeah. I believe Depends it. on what area, though, you're looking at. Like well, again, they're, so. they're talking about GTA, and they're saying... You remember remember North York is now the most expensive rental city in Toronto? Like, remember they were announcing that at one point? Toronto's no longer the most... North York is in Toronto, okay? Like, come on. This is yeah. amalgamation, right? Like, it's just a headline grabber, right? So. No, but they're saying um, that the uh, average rent of a two-bedroom went up, like, 3.5%. That makes sense to me. I mean, we're, like, the some of the... The rental inventory was slow, like declining. And then we saw a little spike in January, which can kind of be chalked up to seasonality, really. Um, and I think we're starting to see it taper off again, starting to absorb. And this is what I've been telling my clients, like, if you want to be bullish on real estate, just ask yourself, do you think Canada can hit their immigration target? And the answer is yes, of course we can. We just have to change our standards of who we allow in, which is being done currently. Um, and our standards and, uh, weren't so high before. Uh, they're getting lower. <laughs> we'll take anyone at this point. Um, and that'll all, you know, be inflationary to housing. And do you think that rents are going to stay depressed as long as mortgage rates? Of course not. Rents are going to bounce much quicker than mortgage rates do. Um, and there you go. There's your bullish thesis on real estate. And also, do you want to leave your money in cash? Um, that which seems I, like I a bad idea. Do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there you have it, folks. Great. Thank you very We've much, Mr. Skrinko, for joining the show. There was, uh, yeah, I, I think we could, uh, yeah, I think we could have uh, kept going here for another hour. So I think we're going to have to schedule you to come on again, if you don't mind.
would love to absolutely yeah that would be great i had a good Get time an update on what's what the market's doing out there in, in 2021 i think uh everything that you've said today was was great and you can tell um if anybody's looking for some pre-construction go to your website give your, give yourself a little shameless plug here what's your website uh precondo.ca like i said register once all the price lists all the floor plans and we don't spam every platinum launch to your email so Mm, well, thank you for that thank thanks you Jordan. for being here we really appreciate yeah, it if you are still listening for some weird reason please subscribe hit the like button and make a comment ask us questions we answer every single one some without a snarky response <laughs> thank you everybody Have thanks a guys great care, fellas.